Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. Welcome back to the Cameron Brooks podcast. I, uh, I'm excited for this conversation. I'm joined by the podcast co-host, Joel Junker. And today we're going to do, we called it initially a mid-year review, although we're 10 months into the year. So it's not quite a mid-year review, but what we want to do is we want to talk about where we're at. We want to talk about the economy. There's a lot of noise, as I'm sure you're all tracking and following. There's a lot of noise about where the economy is going. And is, is there an impending recession or is that just uh, something that's not going to happen? There's a lot of news. There's a lot of constant information about things that are happening and it's hard to predict and it's hard to read. So I'm excited to get into this with Joel, who's been at this now for 23 years and uh, giving some perspective on his ideas about where we're at. And this is meant to be a conversation. We don't have much of a script. We're just going to talk it out. So Joel, welcome to the podcast. Uh, glad you're here. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, I'm going to color in just a, a couple of things there. because We chatted about this before. Sometimes we write out a little bit of a script ahead of time. Yep. And we decided this time the, the word that people use out there is to riff, you know, riff on this. So we're really going to have a conversation I think really natural or just a genuine conversation about what we've experienced this year and what things look like moving into the future. Mm. Um, I, I just, you know, I'll give you everybody the, uh, the, the punchline. I don't want you to stop listening though, but there, I, I can't get, nobody here is going to give you any projections, give you any, um, this is what we expect to happen. Um, I, I think even the prognosticators don't, it's very hard to predict. Right. Uh, where we're going, what we're going to things could surprise us. And, For sure. Um, so I'm not, we don't, we're not going to say, Hey, we, exp-, you know, this is what we're going to see in 2023. Uh, we can only give you history of what we've experienced and what we're experiencing now. And certainly it would be great for everybody to walk away from this webcast or this podcast, excuse me, and have certainty. I mm-hmm. love certainty. I hate uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I'm certainly when you're leaving the military, you want certainty and guarantees. We can't, we can't give you guarantees. We can only fill in information for you to, to how think about this transition and what we've seen in the past and why we are optimistic about the future, which is different than giving a, a, a projection Project, of yeah, yeah, what that'll look like. So. Let, me, let me say this real quick, too. So, you know, we started doing this when we were looking back at 2020, the COVID year, if you will. We had a conversation with our president and CEO, Chuck Alvarez. It's episode 114 of the podcast that generated a number of more, a number of more episodes, 116, 118, 130 and 138. So we've kind of gone back to Chuck and Chuck is the CEO of Cameron Brooks, spends a lot of time talking to companies and he has his pulse, probably the person in the office who has the best pulse on what companies that are approaching us and looking for JMOs, what they're saying to him. So you can go back and listen to all those episodes and we'll do it again. We're gonna talk to Chuck again uh, for a special webcast on December 15th. We'll also turn that into a podcast that will launch in January of 2023. So we're gonna still do that and you're still gonna hear from them, from him. The other thing I'll say is on the back end of this conversation, Joel and I will kick it around for a while. And on the back end of this conversation, I'm going to include the webcast that I did a few weeks back 
with our most recent, some of our most recent alumni from the August 2022 career conference, giving their perspective on the conference, the companies, even the economy. And so I'll, I'll add that to the backside of this podcast and, uh, and give that a listen as well. Yeah. So I, as I was preparing for the conversation today, Pete, I thought I would just do a little bit of throwing out some numbers and yep. what we're seeing. I don't, I, you know, one of the things I did look at is where we were with unemployment rate at the beginning of the year. I think it's been bouncing around 3.5% basically all year. And it was up to 3.7%. So it's still very low. I remember most economists talk about full unemployment, meaning, or full employment being around 4.1, right? 4.2%. Explain what that is. Explain well, there's always going to be a frictional number right. that's unemployed. You know, they're transitory. They're leaving one, going to another. Mm-hmm. And so there's always going to be a small number. And, and, and part of this 3.5%, and we're going to talk about inflation, really extremely low employment or does create inflation, which we have, right? Um, and so in some ways, the Fed increasing interest rates. So, you know, really, I'm going to use the word drastically, right? Um, because it's a lot. I mean, these 0.75 increases, it's really not, it's cooled off the labor market some. I mean, we saw job creation in, you know, drop from July to August and August was 315,000 new jobs created September 263,000 jobs created. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, this is, it was good news. If you're in the, if the labor market was important to you, because you saw 263,000 jobs created and there were still two jobs for every one person. We're seeing that even here at Cameron Brooks. Bad news. If you're an investor, which we're both right. We're, we're the job market and investor and the investors got, Oh my gosh, they're upset because Hey, the, the, the fed still can't cool off the labor market enough. And so what does that mean for you all listening to this? I think from a, the standpoint of the, the, the stepping out, so labor market is still very good currently in this moment in time. Right. And Not we're making a prediction. Not a prediction. And, and you're going to listen, hear that in the, 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 the August conference recap that's going to be uh, at the end of this. So it's right. going to be end of our conversation. And we've got our November conference coming up in, in three weeks or four weeks, whatever it is. And we are seeing a strong demand uh, from companies. And it's broad based. You've got cons- a, a consulting firm in the energy industry. You've got transportation and logistics. You've got financial services. You have high tech. You've got biotech. Um, you, you know, you've got companies in the food and beverage industry. It's pretty broad based. You have healthcare companies. I'm not sure what I'm leaving out, but there's a lot of different things out there. And there's sales, there's team leadership, there's engineering. There's a huge variety. I think that comes back to this other number that I want to share with you. The unemployment rate for the demographic that's listening to this, unless you're somebody's mom and dad listening to this. If you're 25 years of age and older with a college degree, our demographic, 1.8% unemployment rate, 1.8. Since we've been using this statistic, I've never seen it on 1.8. So I went back under the chart. You have to go all the way back to April 2007 to have 1.8%. The interesting thing about the number, though, when I first came to Cameron Brooks and you were showing me the ropes, it was about 10 years ago, and we would use this statistic in the information meeting that we brought. And the interesting thing about that 1.8 is we, other than COVID, where the number got up to like 4%, I'd have to go back and look at that. 
Like it's always fluctuating though between 1.8 and 2.2. It's always yeah, it went low. to like 2.5 maybe mm-hmm. at one point in time. And I think in the the, the pandemic, it mm-hmm. may have gotten up to like four percent for like one month or something like that. Yeah. But talk to me. Let's talk a little bit about the why behind that. Not in and maybe in the context of JMOs in particular. Why is the number low even in even in the worst of times? I think that there's a super strong demand for leadership. It, and, I, and I think there's a super strong demand for leadership, not just in business, in each business. Hmm. I think there's just a super strong demand for leadership overall right now, whether it be in our educational system, political system, and certainly here we're talking about our economy and our businesses, and there's this demographic shift. So I, I, I think you got a lot of baby boomers that are exiting the marketplace still, um, part of the reason why when you have a 263,000 job creation, it's a drop in jobs, but the unemployment rate goes down is that you get a lot of people that exit the labor force as well. Participation. The, the, the participation goes down. And some of that is that you get baby boomers retiring. So I do think that there's very much still in this, you got a huge generational gap of people that when they're turning 65, roughly, give or take a couple of years, leave the labor force. There's a domino effect on that. That's one. Two, you know, if we look at this list of companies coming to the to the career conference, there's several logistics companies. And it's not all together, but it's several. Right. Log- we still have logistics challenges right. it, due to the pandemic, right? And it, or the pandemic started it. Um, and so we're still unwinding but our think, logistics challenges. I think you can make the point, though, we've got logistics challenges. People still need to eat. So we got food and beverage companies. People still need to manage their finances. So we got financial services companies like like in the worst of times, we're still not going to experience. The point is so well taken because in the worst of times, we're still not going to experience a complete shutdown in every facet of industry, no matter what. And so people always I know that's an absolute word, but always need leaders. I'm convinced. I want Joel to weigh in on this, but I'll tell you, I'm convinced because in my short decade at Cameron Brooks, the worst it was has been was in April and June of 2020, 2020. COVID had just hit and the amount of conferences that we canceled was zero. The amount of scheduled and planned conference that we executed during that time was in that case two, April and June. But we've never canceled a conference because because there's always a leadership demand in different in the industries and different segments. As I thought about this point, is, is I want so if we go historically back to um, in 55 years of, of the existence of this organization, it's been a few different. It's been two different forms, really. Um, that's a different podcast some other day. But in the existence since Roger Cameron started this organization. It's 55 years. Never canceled the career conference. We've always had one. Now, my personal experience is I saw the recession of 2001 due to the the tech wreck and the September 11th. And that was my first economic challenge. And we saw a little bit of a dip. I think the average number of interviews was like 13 back then. It went to like 10 or 11. It was kind of a mild recession actually ended up being. But what I learned is, at least in those mild recessions, is that the tech kind of went away, but the energy industry came mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the healthcare was starting to come back and really do it. So you had these kind of one go down, two go up. 
And then we saw just a broad-based slowdown in uh, January of 2009, really until June of 2009. That was real, real, real challenging time. But we still had companies with needs. We still had candidates. We still had conferences. Now, the average number of interviews went to about nine instead of we like the average around 12 to 13. But think about that just for a second. Nine interviews? Especially in the then because the unemployment rate was up over 10%. Nine interviews at a 10% unemployment rate. I mean, that that in itself yeah. is the is, is the made argument. Yeah. And then we got to, you know, March of 2020 and we had no idea what the, what the conference or job, market. we just decided we're going to have a conference. Yeah. We're going to do it. And it's almost like if you build it, they will come back to the right. field of dreams right. um, kind of message. And then we did it for June and we navigated our way through this. So I heard this when I was reading about investing recently that, um, you know, they say, Hey, keep investing, just stay the course because while well, the market's down, you know, people, it's going to go back up. That's what they say. And somebody said, well, hang on a second. It may not go back up. There's no guarantee that the market will go back up. Okay. I say, like, hey, that's a fair point. Mm-hmm. It's a fair point. There's no guarantee. I think the same way I'd say to the to the people that are listening to this. Right. I can't tell you a hundred percent that nothing so bad ever is going to happen that you know there's not going to be an opportunity. What, what the person said though is that historically, over you know how many years of the stock market, it has rebounded over time. And so there's, you know, that we expect that that's what history would teach us. So stay the course, have a, have a goal, have a strategy, have a plan, execute on what, what, you know, but there aren't any guarantees. And that's what I wanted to share with the group is that I'm super positive mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily a positive person. I'm actually a pretty pessimistic. Wait, what? No, I know. I know. I'm more of a, I'm more of a pessimistic person, but I'm positive about realistic. this person. Realistic yeah, is probably yeah. a better word, but I think some people might call them pessimistic, but I, I'm a realist. And so I, my realism is I can't predict for those of you that want to get out in 2023, what's going to happen. You know, I read in the, the Wall Street Journal, uh, the, one of the CEOs of a big bank says there's going to be a recession in the next six to nine months. I know, right? Okay. Yeah. So let's say we have one, but does that mean the job market's going to go horrible? Actually, we don't know that. And historically, even when things have gone south, as we've already outlined, that doesn't mean everything stops. Right. And actually, what I read another article, not by the same thing in the Wall Street Journal, that said, yeah, there's probably going to be a recession in the time frame, but we only expect unemployment to jump to 4.4%. Well, remember what I just said in the beginning, the unemployment rate, full unemployment is 4.2%. So if those things are true, what you'll have is some... I hate to use this. I thought about this too. Unprecedented. I thought we got rid of the word unprecedented times. We'd have this weird, like, you know, recession. And we may even be in one now, frankly. Well, I mean, uh, we've had two uh, quarters and and, uh, the government said, well, we're going to change the definition of what a recession is. Okay, fine. And, um, you know, so maybe we're still in that. But But the bottom line is, I believe, based on my experience, that there will be companies from consumer packaged goods, logistics, logistics, maybe energy, maybe healthcare. We're so broad based here at Cameron Brooks. There's gonna be some industry that's still doing well or some problem is occurring because of this. That industry can solve. That that an industry can solve and they need leaders. They need leaders. And that's what happened back in the tech rack is the tech rack when it, it slowed down back in 2001, yet 
Healthcare was really growing. There was a lot of innovation. Robotics were just starting to come along. You also had um, the energy industry, the price of the barrel of the oil was really pretty depressed in the 90s and it started to come back up. So a lot of investment there. Um, it, in you know, Right now, I'm looking at this list to come into uh, to November and I can't tell you what industry is missing. Maybe consulting. And sometimes you'll see like the peer consulting sit on the sideline when there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, so we saw I had more of those in the beginning of the year, but that would be the only thing. Well, no, I'm sorry. There's two consulting firms coming together. So well, they're pretty well established here. And I'm talking to some people that have been in, that we've helped move into consulting over the course of the last six, as you are as well, probably over the six, uh, six to 12 months. And, and they're talking about even when we're talking about the recession or possible reception or whatever recession or whatever it might be. He says they're the person I did talk to the other day. There is still a need. So it's not that, you know, when an industry doesn't come to a conference for whatever reason, that doesn't mean they're laying people off. It just means that maybe they're not bringing people on board. So I just think it's good to detach the worst feelings in the world, or maybe the, the catastrophe of a recession. Oh gosh, it's the recession. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone's losing their jobs. It's not the great depression of the 1920s, but I think people naturally hear the word recession and they go into cat catastrophe mode. And what we're saying as we're not predicting is it's not catastrophic. Well, it shouldn't be right. I mean, you know, even if you look back to the great recession, one of the worst recessions, before it actually gets defined as a depression, it was 2007, 2008, 2009. And, uh, you know, we still lived, we still rolled, we still yeah. placed candidates. And you guys should go back and listen to the episode with Ben Berkowick uh, that just went live recently, or will go live here soon, uh, where he got out in 2009 and is now an area vice president after uh, 13 years with Johnson & Johnson. Um, so sometimes you get out and you do work in, during a recession, um, sometimes where you that you can actually advance your career pretty quickly. So I'm going to uh, uh, try to land the plane here. Pete, you can comment on it um, so we conclude. So what does that mean for you? Well, you, know, you can absolutely get out and be successful in an economic downturn. And it's very difficult to time the market. That's why I said I'm not going to make a prediction. And, and so if your goal is to, to transition out of the military because you want a better work-life balance, you want more control over your career, you want promotions based on performance, and you're looking to the business world, and a natural pivot point is 2023 for you, I would recommend kicking the can down the road until you talk to Cameron Brooks. If you haven't talked to Cameron Brooks, get, get feedback on your marketability understand the decision that you're making, understand how you can make this transition because you can. This is the point we're trying to establish is that you can. And we believe based on 55 years of experience in this organization that there's going to be opportunities for leaders. Um, so don't kick the can down the road. We, we, you, you know, it's one of our five most common mistakes. People kick the can down the road. By the way, you could, if you haven't done this already, if you go to our free transition resources, the transition guides part of our website. There's actually a transition guide, three transition recession this every transitioning JMO should know. And there's also a, a uh, transition guide on the five common transition mistakes. I'd read those two in conjunction. And then if you haven't already, schedule a personal marketability assessment with us. If you're in the program, you're concerned, schedule an appointment, 
let us give you feedback and tell you about your unique situation. Why do I say that? Because I want to be sensitive. I mean, I've got four children. Pizza has three children. Um, you know, we, you, you know, you're the primary earner of your family, most likely the decision has that impact. Great. Go get information, make an educated decision versus one based out of fear and assumptions. Because a lot of information out there it, from the media, remember, is sensationalized. It's designed to be sensational. It's designed to create fear. And second, the remember, you're less, if you're listening to this in a junior officer, you're less than 1% of the working population out there. Not or most information about career searches, opportunities doesn't necessarily apply to you. Some does, but not all of it. I'm going to put an exclamation point on what he just said here. Joel's, we're, we're not advocating that you call us because we're going to try to convince you to get out of the military or we're going to try to convince you to work with Cameron Brooks. We will explore your specific situation with you and give you advice as to what we see and what we think about your marketability, about future salary and income potential, things of that nature. So I'm going to just reiterate what he just said. We encourage you to call us. We encourage you to engage us. Our intention is not to convince you to do anything. Our intention is to inform you that you can make a good decision for you and your family. So with that, I, uh, Joel, Joel, thank, by the way, I'll put some of what Joel just mentioned in terms of the resource guides and some other resources that you can use. I'll put that all in the show notes so you can click down on this uh, podcast notes and grab all the things that he just described. Joel, thanks for uh as, as you said earlier, thanks for riffing on this topic with me. Um, I think it's helpful. I think it's beneficial to those that are listening. I appreciate the time. Hey, why should they keep listening to the, the uh, post-August conference audio? What are they going to pick up there? Yeah, there's a, there's a few different things. So we featured four different alumni, and they talked about – they talked about making the decision to get out of the military. They talked about some of the uh, some of the companies and opportunities they interviewed with, what went well, what the interviews were like, how they made their decision. It's a wealth of information. I love the information that they brought. So stick around. Let the let the audio keep rolling here and listen to some of their uh, some of their perspective. And we'll come back in another two weeks with another episode of the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is the August. 2022 Career Conference Recap. And you can see I've got an esteemed panelist with me today or panel with me today. These are a few of Cameron Brooks' most recent alumni, and they have graciously uh, donated an hour of their time to be on this call and to share with you their experience, give you some ideas about what worked for them, maybe something they would have done differently. So I'm excited for everyone to be here. I'm going to introduce them here in a second. I've got a couple of slides I want to go through and show you first, uh, just to give you some perspective on the conference itself. So let me do that, and then uh, and then we'll bring our panel back, and we'll get them talking about their experience. All right, so a couple of things about the conference before we get started. A few statistics from the conference. The average number of interviews was 12.3 interviews per officer. The range, uh, the low number of interviews was seven. The high was 14. And that low number, there was a couple of sevens actually at this conference. Um, and that low number was um, a couple of officers with some special circumstances that just because of their circumstance couldn't broaden out to a bigger number. But the median, that's the middle number of interviews and the mode, the no, most interviews that showed up numerically was 13. So that's why that average is a little bit lower 
but the median and the mode um, was 13. And that's a very consistent number, conference in and conference out, we see about 12 or 13 interviews per officer. Now, the pursuit rate was 74.7. And so that what that means is the number of yeses that were given at the conference relative to the number of interviews that an officer had. So generally speaking, officers were converting three quarters of their interviews to yeses. And just to be clear, a, a yes doesn't mean job offer. A yes really doesn't even mean follow-up interview. Essentially what a yes means is the company has more interest in exploring your, you essentially in the form of a follow-up interview. So far, actually I made this slide two days ago, so this number is slightly different, but so far there have been 101 officers, offers for employment made and 37 officers of the officers who attended the career conference have accepted offers. You see four of those folks on this call now, but the reason I put this statistic in here is there is way more offers given, obviously, than accepted. What does that tell you? Well, that tells you that there are more open positions at the conference than there were than there are officers by an absolute long shot. Now, and these, these folks are going to tell you here momentarily, that doesn't mean you can just come to the conference unprepared and, and have it handed to you, obviously. But, but the reason I want to show you this slide is because there's a lot of opportunity at every conference. So 2.14 officers per candidate. Now we're getting into the weeds a little bit. And it took roughly about 12 days from when the conference was over to when someone said yes to an offer and signed an offer letter, roughly 12 days. Some took a little bit more, some took a little bit less, but generally speaking about 12 days or so. Now, here are some of the companies that were at the conference. Um, of some of the companies you've heard and are familiar, some are not. I'm not going to introduce Liberty, Luca, uh, Protivity, or Campbell's because I'm going to let the officers who are on the call do that. But other calls that were, or other companies that were at the conference, NextAir Energy, which is the largest wind and solar producer in the United States, MCOR, which is a Fortune 500 uh, facilities management company run by a West Pointer, former JMO, Schneider, one of the largest uh, distribution and logistics company in the world, J&J, &J, Blue Chip, healthcare company. Mondelez is a very large um, consumer packaged goods company. Corning is a material science company focused in glass. FedEx, everyone knows what that is. Abiomed is a leading medical device company that makes an impeller pump. And then Mars, most people know what that is, another consumer company. So uh, certainly this was not every company that was re represented at the conference. However, um, this is just a smattering, most many of which um, you have some familiarity with. And again, we'll let our we, we'll let our alumni introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about the company they're going to go work for here in just a moment. So some of the position titles for business analysis, associate product manager at Academy Sports and Outdoors, director of development at Brightview Health, and associate brand manager at Halion. Halion is the former GlaxoSmithKline. They just spun that $12 billion business off into their own um, uh, over-the-counter consumer packaged goods company. For sales, technical uh, field technical specialist at a company called Impulse Dynamics, sales rep, acute care within Medline, and then account manager within Messer Americas, which is a large industrial gas company. Engineering management, 
technical service engineer at Derrick Equipment Company in the oil and gas industry, and then senior engineer product stewardship, Edwards Life Sciences, which is a medical device company, and then team leadership, senior production supervisor at Boston Scientific, group facility administrator at DeVita, which is uh, one of the world's largest um, uh, dialysis company, and then shipping and logistics manager at Interflex Energy, uh, Interflex Energy Systems, which is a natural gas company. So those are, again, just some of the job titles that were represented at the conference. Now, I was telling the group before we started, this slide basically represents every location that was represented at the conference and numerically if it showed up more than once. I bolded a few because, you know, it wasn't necessarily, it was a city, it was more of a, of a region. So you can see remote, uh, Texas, you know, any city in Texas, the Northeast, which include Massachusetts, New York, Pennsylvania, and then Northern California, a couple of cities up there. But the point I wanna make in this, you all, I understand how location is important. It was certainly important to me and my wife when I was getting out of the military. I know it's important. Everyone has preferences. What I wanna tell you is, and, and I'm gonna let these folks weigh in on this as well, you interview for a lot of things in your preferences and you interview for things outside of your preferences, things that might be really attractive to you things that might actually, you know, actually get you to say, you know, we could actually go start in Savannah, Georgia for a few years for this role. Eventually we want to make our way back up to Boston, but sure we'd go to Savannah for the time being or something like that. So lots of opportunity in locations at the conference. Um, I've got four panelists. I'll just introduce you as they are on the screen. I've got Connor Gandro, Army Field Artillery Officer, he was in our program for five months and he's going to work at Luca. And again, I want each of these to each of these folks to describe. I've got Sika Naga Ogosby, uh, Air Force Force Support Officer, was in the program for three months, going to work at Liberty Advisory Group in a consulting role. Andrew Stollard, Navy Surface Warfare Officer in DPP for almost a year, going to work for Protivity, and then Johnny Kim, Air Army Armor Officer. Uh, was in the program for five months going to work at Campbell. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go around the horn and I just want to hear real quick, you guys, just tell us who you're going to go work for, what the company does and uh, what you're going to do and maybe take, you know, a little bit less than a minute, just real quick overview, who you're going to work for, what does your company do and what will you do specifically? And Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Sure. So uh, I'm going to be going to work for Protivity. Uh, business consulting firms, specifically with their emerging technologies practice uh, as a senior consultant for uh, cloud computing. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Johnny, go for it. Uh, sure, Pete. So I'm going to be working for Snyder's of Hanover. They make the pretzels. Uh, it's uh, owned by Campbell's, so it's why I'm um, basically working for Campbell's. But um, it's a factory. I'll be a continuous improvement uh, manager. Essentially, what we do, I'll, I'll do in the military, but as a job, <laughs> so it's pretty yeah. good. Sounds good, excellent. All right, Connor, go for it. So I'll be working for Luca. Um, it's a little difficult to explain what they do if you don't really understand the cryptocurrency space. Um, essentially, they provide software that translates crypto technology for banks and businesses, and then for the government. Uh, I'll be working on the government side as an account executive. It's almost kind of like uh, contract acquisitions. Sounds it's, good. But essentially, it's sales. Yeah, yeah, sounds good, thank you. And then Sika? Hi, so I'll be working for Liberty Advisor Group as a principal consultant. And what that involves is helping solve companies' most challenging problems, especially as it relates to technology. 
Excellent. All right. So Luke, uh, Sika, let's just start with you since, since you were last and we won't go, and we won't go in order. We'll just try to kick these around, but, um, let's start with this. Think of, think about the, think back to the conference, obviously, what do you think you and I, you and I, and you and the Kenworks team talk a lot about the conference before the conference, but what do you think was the biggest surprise that you encountered at the conference? Definitely that it's, um, it's a sprint. So I think it was really helpful that I had that time completely dedicated to just focus on preparing for the conference and preparing for interviewing because it takes a lot of energy throughout. Um, but most of all, if you've done the proper preparation, the methods that you all teach us at Cameron Brooks really work and really um, gave me good problems to have in terms of how this transition process has been going. So when you say it was a sprint, tell me more, like how did you feel or what were you feeling? But it was a lot of information to digest all at once uh, between looking at over all the company literature, uh, looking at all of my experiences and seeing what would be most relevant to the companies I was interviewing with. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, researching the folks who I'd be interviewing with on LinkedIn. Just all of that combined was a lot of work to just process. And then, you know, making sure that you show up as your best self each time that you're interviewing and interviewing as if that's your only position right. um, it requires a lot of energy. She just said something that, that I think is very interesting, and I'd like to plant the seed. And that is interviewing for every interview as if it's your only interview. If you're bouncing from interview to interview and kind of, you know, bringing the last interview into the next one and the next one into the next one, it's a little bit harder what you're trying to do, even though it's 12 interviews practically back to back over two days, what you're trying to do is literally treat every interview as if it's the only one you have and dedicating the time that you're giving to that interview fully to that interview. Even if it's your favorite company at the conference or your least favorite company at the conference, you just never know who you're gonna meet and what's gonna happen in the interview. To, to make decisions about if you're liking it or not before you walk into the interview. Johnny, would you maybe, I, this is not a prepared question, but would you speak to that a little bit? Like, give me your perspective on the idea of walking in to every interview as if it's your only interview. Well, Pete, I mean, what Zico was saying was, was uh, I mean, it was definitely understated. It, the pace was extremely, it was high. Um, yeah. <clears throat> And oftentimes I would be going right from interview to interview. Um, and so what was really good, though, is that with each one, like you come into the conference thinking you know what you want to do based on the company literature and you have like a, a pre-existing notion of what you want. But then with each interview, you, you learn something else and it's not what you thought it'd be. So then it starts to shape and change your, your perspectives on what you really want. And so I think with the pace being that high, you really don't have time to like stress over things. It's just like... This is, you know, close and then open. You're going to be late for the next one and then keep going and going and going. And it was just, um, it, it was it was definitely a marathon. So he said he's going to, you get your company literature and that happens the Wednesday before the conference. So you get all this literature on all these companies. And finally, after all this time, you know who you're going to interview with. And then, so what Johnny says, you start reading through them. And, and we, in our nature as humans, will naturally say, I like this stuff, and I don't know if I like this stuff. It's just natural. We tell you, hey, don't do that, but who doesn't do that? 
But what happens is you actually get into the, and then you come to the conference and you get a briefing from me or Chuck or Joel or Rob or Lauren. It's like, okay, maybe that I learned a little bit there, but all the learning occurs in the interview, not all. So much of the learning occurs in the interview, so much so that as Johnny just said, you walk into the interview thinking one thing, you walk in thinking, oh, okay, that's a little bit different than what I thought. And I got to say, that is a recurring refrain for the decade that I've been helping military officers move to corporate America. That is an absolute constant and recurring refrain. So let me move on to another question. Connor, I know that you worked hard before the conference. You and I had a couple of conversations beforehand in terms of preparation. What do you think you did really well before the conference to ensure your success? Sure. So uh, I think prior to the conference, I had all my answers rehearsed. Um, and then about two weeks out, I put myself in front of the camera and I said them out loud and I felt like a total robot. And I realized like the delivery was completely detached from the content. I think something that probably could help everyone is sit at home, turn on the camera and record yourself and then watch your own answers. And you can listen for two things. You can listen for the content of what you're saying, but you, also, you can also look at yourself and be like, man, this guy, <laughs> I wouldn't want to have a conversation with this guy. <laughs> and that was something I had to like rehearse in my head was like, okay, try not to take this so serious that the delivery comes off canned. I think the best way to do that is to physically watch yourself. So I thought that that helped me probably more than anything else in the process. What do you mean the delivery was detached from the content? Flesh that out a little bit for us. Uh, sure. So if I was talking about something, for example, that I was like passionate about. So if it was, I was trying to articulate an experience and the delivery comes off monotone with no inflection in the voice, it completely undermines the entire message. So I think sitting there and practicing and making sure that when you're emphasizing a point, like your body language reflects that emphasis and your tone and your delivery, it has to be one coherent message. Can't just be the content. It has to be the body language following it. Were you involved in a study group? I was, and they were them and uh, my wife uh, were the two who pointed that out when I first started. Like, hey, man, you have to make sure that there's body language coming with this too. How how often do you did you meet in your study group? Um, probably, I would say almost. I wouldn't say necessarily the study group alone, but I was working with somebody every yeah. day, probably leading up to about for the two weeks out from the conference. I would say about every single day. Did you ever put your notes away? Was there ever a point in your preparation where you just straight up put your notes away and you're like, I got it, I'm going? I did actually from that point when I started about two weeks out from the conference, I put them away. Honestly, whether or not I felt I was ready or not, I knew that I wouldn't have them in front of me. So I tried to just get rid of that crutch when I got closer. Gotcha. How about you, Andrew? What about uh, anything you know you did really well prior to the conference? Well, similar to Connor, I also found it necessary to definitely practice with a group, study group, practice looking at uh, a camera, seeing myself as I recited answers, because it definitely came off can when I did it initially before the conference uh, quite a bit. Uh, as far as something I, I thought I did well when it came to preparation was definitely, and this was something that really helped out by doing it in the study group was getting that input and feedback on the way I phrase a lot of the, the uh, things in my accomplishments, because some of them would use far too much military jargon, or there was a phrase or a word where I, I, I thought it was completely well-known or understood by the, uh, not just other military branches, but just the overall civilian community. And right. it definitely didn't. So getting that 
improve so I could actually portray and better uh, get across the point of what I'm saying in reference to what the actual job is from their perspective, from the interviewer's perspective, really helped out a lot. Gotcha. Um, Just to be clear about the study groups, you all, for those that are listening in, um, study groups are not required, but I say this to people all the time, and and maybe we can just spend a minute or two on study groups. Um, I say this to people all the time. There is a distinct difference, in my mind at least, between those who are active in a study group and those who are not, because you just get so much um, you know, practice. I don't know. You, you turn, you go from robotic, as Connor said, to more natural in the way you're describing, but, but study groups can be different. Did anybody have any trouble starting a study group? Like, you know, I'm trying to get this thing going, or maybe were you the one that was dragging your feet before you got started in a study group? Anybody have any, you know, pluses or minuses, so to speak about a study group? Our study group kind of had a little bit of a stop start, but once we got in the flow of things, we realized how helpful it was for all of us, especially because, um, I mean, a lot of us were, we're self-starters and we really take that initiative. And obviously this is a really important transition, but what I found was really helpful about the study groups was that I was now accountable to at least three other people who are really intelligent and are working on themselves as well. So being able to bounce ideas off of one another and see how we're coming across was extremely helpful. So even though we started a little bit late and first started kind of just meeting once a week, a couple times a week, and then ramping that up as it increased um, as, as the conference date um, came closer. Yeah. It was definitely really, really helpful to be in those study groups. What, what do you guys think is the biggest hindrance? Maybe you can help. What's the, pro, what's the deal? Is it just like, ah, these pe- I don't know these people. I'm super busy. Like, what's the hindrance to starting a study group? I guess to speak on that, uh, for me personally and for our group, the challenge was I think we we grew a little bit too big initially, Mm -hmm. and it was tough to get the schedule lined up appropriately. Uh, There was often someone had something they had to cancel. But if if we were working groups of two or maybe three, it worked out fairly well. Uh, But once we got the ball rolling and people got comfortable talking with each other and got to know each other, even over the course of one, uh, it really helped out. Yeah, cool. Anybody else? It's okay if you don't. Any, anything else to add before we move on? For our group, study group is really just me and, and Trey, just one other one other person. There were other two others assigned, but I guess they were part of different conferences. And that was our friction, essentially. Yeah. Um, so Trey and I were yeah, in the August conference, so we had much more of a stake uh, to, to get yeah. things going. So it was more of a partnership. Yeah. Um, and how often did y'all meet? Uh, it was initially, it was like once a week and then, uh, fortunately we we're on the same post. So he would come over to the office and we would oh, talk okay. and that, that was the, the best, uh, best way to prep was him and I would both take turns doing conversational interviews. Uh, so we wouldn't really go trip to, it would be just like bringing questions out of left field that we could possibly encounter. Sure. Um, so we would like constantly test ourselves, uh, with each other. Gotcha. Let me, let me, Johnny, stay, stay with me here. Knowing what you know now, having accepted a position, starting work here in a month or two, knowing what you know now, what do you think, what's the one thing you should have done differently before the conference to get ready for the conference or maybe after the conference, shoot, just at any point, what's one thing you should have done differently? So the one thing that that I found would have been better is if I were to practice more of the answers catering to the specific position. Uh, so if it was a team leadership versus business analytics or 
um, sales. Uh, just to have that prep package of answers better, um, not like script, but like content wise, um, so that I wouldn't, you know, the interviews wouldn't go too long or I wouldn't just become long winded yeah. or putting other factors in that really weren't hitting the, the point. Yeah. I want to throw that to Connor because he and I had a pretty, I thought, a breakthrough conversation about sales a week or two before the conference. I don't know about breakthrough, maybe that's a strong word, but it was a, I remember it being a pretty good conversation. Before we do that, though, I want to say to the group listening in, like the bottom line, and these are, these are very big categories, and there's a lot of nuance into what I'm about to say, but the bottom line is, you know, there's really only three essences that you're going to deal with at the conference. You're either going to be leading a team, or you're going to be managing a program or a project, which is not leading a team, it's managing a program or a project, or you're going to be interacting with a customer, someone usually external to the organization and bringing value to them. If you think about it that way, you're either leading a team, coach, train, mentor, develop, cast a vision, hold your team accountable, that whole thing. You're managing a program or a project, or you're interacting with customers and bringing value to them. And in that way, again, there's tons of nuance to what I just said, but in that way, based on what Johnny just said, in your study groups, go get an information sheet from tab five in like practice connecting to team leadership, practice connecting to program project management, practice connecting to, uh, to interacting with customers and bringing value to customers. And in that way, that can, that can move you along a little bit, you know, just again, to speak to what Johnny said, that can move you along. Anybody want to add to that? Anything that I'm, do you think I'm missing anything in that? I've just started saying that recently. So am I missing anything there? I would add that um, it's okay to come to your study groups a little um, unpolished because that's what helps you get up to speed. I know that I was a little bit nervous to jump in because I didn't want to waste people's time. Or even sometimes um, uh, when I would work with you, Pete, or with Joel, I'd be a little bit nervous about my answers because I knew that they could use a little extra polishing. But I made a lot of progress in those calls and with those study groups. Yeah. And inspired me to study a little bit harder and study um, in a more fine-tuned way because I knew what exactly I needed to refine. Let me, Connor, let me ask you, um, let's talk about things you guys learned at the conference. You know, we, what we try to do now is we try to give everyone coming to the conference as much information. You know, we're showing you the interview schedule. We try to give you, we're doing these webcasts, try to give you as much information uh, before the conference, but, but it's impossible to give you everything, not because we're holding out, just because the experience is some of it, actually. So, Connor, talk to us about maybe the biggest thing that you've learned through this process about you, about business, it could be about anything, but tell, tell us about something that you've learned. Sure. Uh, so I think uh, I'll probably cover two points. Uh, the first one is that I had no idea how many different roles within each role there are. Uh, you know, Cameron Brooks does a, a pretty good job of giving the overview of you've got sales, you've got business analysis, or you've got engineering management, team management. Uh, you know, that was my general framework for approaching the business world. The conference showed me within each of those is like another dozen subsections. And I guarantee the deeper you dive into that, you'll find even further. I was amazed the majority of my interviews were sales positions. And within those sales jobs, they were all incredibly different. A medical device sales job, as opposed to my current position, for example, which is like software sales for cryptocurrency they could be from two different planets. You, you wouldn't really even know the same sector. So the first thing was just amazed at how many different opportunities there are out there. 
Um, and then the second thing, which I, I don't think I realized there after the conference is how bad these companies want JMOs. I think it was very apparent that they were looking for someone who was interested in their company. I think for a lot of my interviews, the ones that I demonstrated interest, you could almost, you could feel a reciprocation immediately. They're there to hire talent. And I think there's a lot more of them than there are of us. You're going through some of the statistics. I think it was like 101 offers, 37 so far has, have accepted. I think to give some of the guys going in comfort and confidence, knowing that a lot of these companies, they need junior military officers. And, and you'll feel that when you're in your interview. If you show interest, they are definitely going to reciprocate that interest. So help, help the group out. How do you show, okay, so, so at the conference, you're not trying to get everyone to like give you an offer. It's kind of, you know, we use the speed dating analogy all the time. No one's getting married at a speed date unless, you know, I don't know, either it's love at first sight or you're a crazy person. No one's getting married at a speed date. So how do you show interest and still be genuine and sincere? Because everyone thinks interest is like, hey, I love you. I want to get married. Hey, I want to, I want to come work at your company. But you're not going to say that at the conference. And so how do you, how do you demonstrate interest? Uh, I think there's two ways you can do it. The first is to just comment on aspects of the company that you like. You don't have to say you're in love with it, but just even showing that you've taken any time to research the company and say, hey, I like how X company does Y. They'll be impressed with that. Uh, and then the second is questions. I know Cameron Brooks focuses a lot on how to ask questions at the end. That format is great. In most of my interviews, I don't think I asked two questions. I think I asked like 10. It was like almost a struggle to make sure I kept showing them I was interested by asking questions. There's a lot more time for questions um, from your end. Uh, I think sometimes in some of my interviews than even questions they had for me. I think taking a little time to do some research and have prepared questions in itself shows interest because they know you've done your homework. It's, it's an, a question can be very intimidating. Um, you know, it just can be a hard thing. And I think it's so hard because it's, you know, you're trying to ask questions in a world that you don't have experience in, and that can be a little bit challenging, but I want to put an exclamation point on what Connor's saying, because you guys, the more you can practice your question asking before the conference, before the conference, the easier it is. What's the purpose of a question? The purpose of the question is to demonstrate interest, not to satisfy your curiosity. And so just huge exclamation point. The more that you can practice this, and we'll teach you some methods on how to do it, but the more you can practice it before you get to the conference, doing some of the guidance that Connor just gave, the, the help, the more helpful it'll be. Andrew, what about you? Let's talk about lessons learned. What's the biggest thing that you took away from the conference or the follow-up process or whatever? What's the biggest thing you took away? So I concur quite a bit with a lot of what Connor had just said, but uh, trying to take a different tack on it, I suppose. When it came to the, I want to say the interviews in particular, I was surprised by the variety of the types of interviews that I got as far as the kinds of questions asked, uh, the, the focus, what they focused on in the interview. Uh, some people focus, some interviewers focusing on specific points on the resume, while others were just asking for examples that fit uh, within the, the framework of the position you're interviewing for. So, getting used to, I guess, just switching up the mindset and expectations for how the interview is going to go for each one really helped out and taught me quite a bit about how to kind of quickly change that mental tact or that mental framework for from going from one interview to the next. Uh, and, and I also completely agree that when it came to 
uh, demonstrating interest that being able to find the specific points in each company that, that I liked really helped in being able to portray that interest uh, more effectively. Right. Um, why don't you, let's go around the horn. I like that. Let's go around the horn and everyone answer this question. Only take, you know, don't take too long here just because I'm looking at the clock a little bit. Um, and you don't have to mention the company name because it may not be the company you actually went to go work for. So <laughs> I'm not looking for that. But what was your favorite interview at the conference and why? And Andrew, since you left off, why don't you kick us back off? What was your favorite interview at the conference and why was it your favorite? So uh, I know you said you don't have to mention company names, but my favorite was for the, the company I ended up working for, for Pertivity. But uh, combination of factors, uh, it just felt like very balanced. Uh, one was being able to build rapport with them. It just had a really good cultural fit and feel with the, the conversation, the back and forth and discussion. Uh, they didn't spend, in my opinion, they didn't spend too much time uh, giving an exposition on, on what the company does. They gave a little bit of time to explain it. And then they went into some questions. There was a lot of back and forth. There was a Camera Books alumni in the interview who uh, it helped a little bit because they were able to better relate to the experience and, and the experience that I was uh, explaining from my perspective. Uh, and it, it just really felt like a good cultural fit in that discussion. And there were, I, f I noticed that with some interviews, if there were four or five people, it felt a little overcrowded and it was, it was tough to get uh, as much as I wanted to say in when it came to expressing interest and giving answers. But uh, I think with them, it was really, there was three, but only two were asking questions, which also I think helped with the balance of how the interview went, being able to uh, make that connection, make that relation of, of my military experience to the job sure. and also having time for questions. Got so that, that's what worked for me. Sounds good. All right, Johnny, how about you, man? What, uh, what was your favorite interview and why? So my favorite interviews are actually one of the offset ones, but uh, for conference-wise, I would say, um, see, it was, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say the company, but it's a different company than what I went to work for. But okay. it was mainly the thing was uh, the interviewer was so positive, and so it was very good vibes the whole time. Uh, so it felt like the conversation was going well. Um, and I did, they did pursue afterwards. So yeah. all of was even better. Tell me, so you were, you were about, I think you were about to say some of the offsite, some of the in-person interviews. Is that right? What's, yes. uh, what was, what's the why there? Well, I mean, you get to, you get to be immersed in the environment of where, you know, you could potentially work. And then um, you're, you get to actually see your, you're reading the, the interviewers um, body language, facial expressions. So it's a lot easier to build rapport. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I think one offsite one, the case studies were interesting. Uh, one guy asked me to design a, a pair of sunglasses for a baby and how would I go about it? Uh, so, I mean, it's just, it was just something interesting. Yeah. A lot of laughs, just the vibe were here. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, Sika, how about you? Yeah. So this was obviously my favorite was the company I went with, but one other company that uh, really surprised me when I initially read through the information, I didn't think I'd be that interested in the work, but after the interview and speaking with them and hearing their passion for it. And after having done a lot of research, I found that um, that was actually one of my favorite interviews because of the rapport I was able to build, how much more information I learned about the company and the kind of people that work there. And it actually ended up uh, being one of my top contenders. So 
One of the questions I get a lot, you guys, is is how do you make a choice? I think I think I've heard it twice in this session. Um, good problem to have, which is you know you got job offers multiple. That's a good problem to have. And so, how did you how did you make your ultimately? How did you make your decision, Johnny? Start us off with this one. Why why did you ultimately choose what you chose? Well, Pete, so. I got a pretty young family. Um, so what we did was uh, made a list of all the deciding factors. Um, and I ranked the companies on an Excel sheet and uh, I ranked them from one to one to five, one to six. Um, and then it would calculate the averages. And so it would show me based on raw data on, you know, which one would be based on, you know, golf game numbers, like which had yeah. the lowest, uh, uh, which ranked the best. Um, so it was kind of biased on that. And then you have, uh, Chuck's uh, Chuck Alvarez's strategy call, and so where he would tell you like, "Hey, what do you think the best fit is for you based on your future?" Not just like you know all the other deciding factors aside, like where's the thing you can do really well at? And so yeah. uh, based off of that, and how far it ranked my company that I went with, how how much it ranked, and then the third factor was how uh, aggressively. Campbell's was pursuing me was uh, said a lot about um, sure. how much they wanted me. So yeah. that those three things really factored in. So you had the data, Chuck's strategy call, and then the company's um, um, interest level. Let's talk a little bit just for a moment. I'd like for someone else to weigh in on this one. Chuck's strategy call. So Chuck Alvarez is the president and CEO of Cameron Brooks. He's been helping military officers move from the military to corporate America for over 25 years. And I hear, I, I actually am located in this office relatively close to where he sits. And um, I hear him say to people all the time, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do. You get to make the choice. I'm just going to help you work it out. It's exactly what Johnny said. It's a strategy call. But I've, I've really heard him give good advice to people that have, you know, a good problem to have. So did anyone else, you know, have a memorable or, you know, overly helpful conversation with Chuck? Of course, everyone's going to say they did. Hopefully you say that. But um, but you know, anybody else want to weigh in on that strategy call? Well, Pete, I can say that uh, my strategy call with Chuck, I, I can't say that he changed my my mind as far as where I was headed, as far as which company I was thinking I was going to work for. Uh, but it really did help give a better picture and understanding of uh, the way he framed it, of comparing the companies as far as what the position is, what that career progression looks like. And he was even giving an explanation of, you know, if, if you didn't stick this out for X, Y, Z number of years, then you might have to reset or fall into a position maybe of a similar level at a different company. But if, but if you stuck it out a few more, yeah. you could hypothetically go into a position a step up. Yeah. Or uh, also just explaining from the perspective of, you know, if you stuck it out in this company for your entire career, what that progression would really look like. And it was it was one I had not heard before. So it was definitely appreciated and helped provide a little bit more to the picture. Yeah. I think, I think what I appreciate about Chuck is, he always says this free will, free country. You got to do what you got to do or what's right for you and your family. But he certainly will give you good perspective and get you thinking in the right direction. All right. So let's do one more. We'll do one pro tip from each of you for those attending the next conference, which is six weeks and three days from today. One pro tip to those people coming to the November conference. And we'll keep it nice and short. Just a little jab. One pro tip. 
and then uh, we'll get off to uh, working through some of these questions. So Sika? I would say make sure that your personality shows through. Uh, as much as it's important to be very competent and objectively have your information out there, a lot of the companies were already really excited about my resume and what I bring to the table. So at that point, it was also really important to show my personality, show how I could be a good fit to the team, show how well I work with others, um, and just show that I'm a human being and not just a military robot. So military robot, yeah. Really show your, let your personality shine through. Sounds great. Thank you. Andrew, what about you? One pro tip. I would say just be prepared to flex to the different kinds of interviews you're going to have and don't get too caught up in just thinking about it just from a strict answer perspective. Get ready to start giving an answer. And, and you know, if you're reading the room, you think they're getting tired of it, then cut it a little bit short and wait for them to see what they say after that. But really just be prepared to adjust for each interview and don't try to get stuck on just giving your answer. And, and let me just jump in there. So when you're in your study group, especially when you're a little bit more advanced in your study group, push each other around a little bit that way. Don't always let everyone give their whole answer from start to finish. Get, get you know, help each other feel a little bit uncomfortable. I think that was, uh, would help. Great advice. All right, Johnny, wrap it up. One pro tip. Uh, so positivity is key. If you've got a resting uh, grouch face like I do, it's kind of hard. So you got to practice your smiling endurance. Um, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's all about your body language and your positivity. Uh, negativity will be your downfall. Um, and then as far as, like, technical-wise, like, I would say what I did was I had a manila folder for each company that I was assigned to. And that had my resume with highlighted what I wanted to hit and job description and, like, a, a notes page for Chuck's uh, Chuck's and yours and Joel's, all the yeah. Lawrence classes. So yeah. uh, just like a, a project packet for each, each, uh, each job. Sounds good. Arresting grouch face. Let's avoid those at all costs from this point forward. I think that's what I'm going to title this podcast. Avoid the resting grouch face. All right. So the first question is, what was your least favorite interview and why? So everyone was definitely super nice, super welcoming and super pro-military. So none of that was an issue, right. but the Interviews I had the most challenge with were the ones where I knew that I had to kind of push uh, my own uh, accomplishments because they were very conversational and very, let me tell you about the company and didn't give me enough of, it wasn't a very, I guess, uh, informational interview. So I had to really say, oh, I like what you said about the company. And I've done this kind of work when I did X, Y, and Z in the Air Force. So it just required a lot more work for me to figure out how to insert those moments without them actually asking me those questions. And it just requires a different skill set that's slightly more stressful. It's also, really good. You know, some of the feedback or some of the coaching you get at the conference, Joel, and you guys will remember this, Joel talks about, you know, running up the basketball court in your nice new uniform, but not ever taking the ball and scoring points. And so what Sika's talking about is scoring some points. You know, you look great in your suit, but if you're just sitting there nodding your head and saying, oh, that's fun, that's interesting, but never really interjecting. And it's a fine line. You don't want to be a ball hog to use the basket, continue the basketball analogy. You don't want to always be grabbing the ball and put it in the, put it in the hoop, but there are going to be some interviews where you, you must do that. And so that's really, really good advice. Thank you. All right, let's go to the next one here. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just read this and then uh, and then Andrew, why don't you take this one? What's the biggest difference between what type of jobs you were looking for before you began working with Camera Brooks versus now? What caused the change for you, if at all? Was there anything specific that guided your decision making? So I think we've covered this a little bit, but why don't you weigh in on that that a little bit? And I'd like Connor to weigh on it too, because I darn sure know that he wasn't thinking about cryptocurrency software. Andrew, you start though. Sure, uh, Vid. So I, I definitely was not before this conference thinking I'm going to go work for a consulting firm. That was not in my mind. So I guess the biggest thing that really ended up changing my focus when it came to before the conference to after when it came to the kinds of positions or jobs I was looking at was just learning more about them, uh, getting to see exactly how much of a fit the actual content of the, the nature of the work was and how directly correlated to the military experience that I had. Yeah. find a lot of surprise when you look through those job sheets and you start highlighting all the phrases and words and sections of like, oh, I did that, I did that, I did that yeah. for all those different things. Excellent. All right, Connor, weigh in on that one real quick. Sure. Um, so I'm going to give Pete a little bit of credit here. Right. Uh, I came in, yeah, <laughs> I, but I, I really will. Uh, I came into the conference pretty set on team leadership. Uh, because that's really all I knew. And I had no idea how to translate any of my experience. Pete uh, almost has the same military resume as me. We graduated from the same school, same military branch, same branch within the Army. We were both artillery. Um, he kind of opened the door to help me see how sales was actually pretty tied into a lot of my jobs in the Army. Uh, and the more I looked at it, the more I realized it's not cold calling people, asking to buy their grandmother's insurance. It's more of a professional relationship building uh, environment. And so um, when I got to the conference, I was pretty fixated on medical device sales. Uh, and then an opportunity opened up with a company that I, I did not expect, um, but they were fascinating. It was a very unique industry. And as you said, they're in cryptocurrency. So I think coming into this process with an open mind is probably the most important part because you just never know what it is that's going to pique your interest or how, how your experiences will shape what you're looking for. It's good. All right. We got a lot of questions. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hustle up a little bit. Uh, Johnny, take this one. As far as interview questions, how similar were they to tab five questions? I think tab five questions uh, were, were beneficial to prep. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really after you do your self-reflection is as long as you have your concepts and, and the situations in which uh, you work with people and a team based on whatever the job was, is what's going to help you. And like I said, I only had one metho uh, methodology question. Right. Um, so be prepared for specific instances. Yeah, you got it. That's it, you guys. The tab five questions, all 28 of them, or however many there are, um, are designed to give you a foundation. And you know, if you can answer those in, in your own way and in your own, it's going to ultimately be a conversation. So the intention is not to get you to be memorized robots, as we've talked about a couple of times now tonight. The intention is for you to explore those answers deeply in a bunch of different directions so that you can take that, be familiar with it, and have a good conversation about it. Okay. Did your priorities shift, personal or professional, at all throughout your camera books process? What predominantly drove the change for you. So did anybody have a change in priorities from when they first talked to Cameron Brooks to when they, to now? Uh, yes, I did. Um, so predominantly <laughs> I wanted the location aspect, okay. um, but after the process, I was fully prepared to go um, somewhere else. Uh, 
And what drove it really was like that deciding factors analysis that I was talking about earlier. Um, it just so happened like the future for the kids and and how how good of a school network there was and stuff like that was more important than going back home. So um, obviously the job I went with is still closer to home uh, geographically, but I was fully prepared to go somewhere else. Sounds good. Let, let's talk about negotiating. What about negotiating? So Sika, have you, how did you go about negotiating job offers with regards to compensation? How do we frame our mindset when we haven't ever negotiated a salary or other compensation factors? How would you answer that, Sika? Uh, well, one, I would say that, at least for me, my experience, the offers that I got were really competitive and really wonderful. So at that point, it was just a matter of um, just making sure that it aligned for the kind of life you're going to be living um, and what you would need for, like, the, I guess, the cost of living in that area. And also Cameron Brooks' team um, was also really helpful in um, figuring out the right wording and the right verbiage for how to have those conversations. Yeah. Anybody else? Everybody's shaking their head. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? What I will tell you all is, I got this question today as I was talking to a person that was coming is coming to the November conference. He's like, you know, it's no problem. I'll give you my LES, but why do you need it? Are you using it to, to you know, pin a salary relative to what I'm making now? And the answer to that is no. Every position that's coming to the conference comes to the conference with a salary range before the matching process even starts. Like the salary range, the benefits, the bonus, the everything is already determined in a range, not in a dollar, but in a range, not a dollar amount range uh, before the conference. So, so I think there is some negotiating, but usually in this phase of your career, you're not like playing hardball. At least it's probably not the right way to do it is to play a bunch of hardball. I do think that there's some negotiating opportunity. Let's say your favorite company is coming in a little bit lower than a couple of other offers that you have. And you may go to them and say, listen, I'm a yes. Can you do anything on the salary? Now, does anybody know anything about negotiating? That's negotiating without leverage. And so that's not really negotiating. It's really asking. But the bottom line is what you're trying to do is launch your business career. And as you've heard tonight, I think everyone would agree with this. There's so many more factors at play the money is going to be there, but there are so many other factors at play in terms of making the decision you're going to make. So that's what I'd say about that. Um, did you ever get a job offer or an interview where you thought you were unqualified? We've already talked to anybody interview for a job. You're like, why am I interviewing for this? I'm not qualified for this. Anybody have that experience? Johnny, did you have that? You're shaking your head. We saw basically all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, directly, we have no industry experience. So right. right off the bat, I mean, compared to someone else like that has industry experience, we really weren't. Um, but uh, Karen Brooks really does a good job of leveraging the skills that we've already had in the military to to segue that. Um, it, I mean, it helps when your interviewers are also JMOs or were JMOs. And so, I mean, it's a lot of bridging that goes on there, too. Yeah. Sounds good. Anybody else? Anybody else felt like, "Ugh, what am I? Why am I interviewing for this? I'm not qualified." I think there's definitely um, certain jobs seem like they would require a steeper learning curve than others. 
Uh, but all of it, especially after going through the program and seeing why I am competitive and why they're looking for skills like mine, um, it honestly made me a little cocky going into it because um, I really did start feeling a bit more confident. I could see why companies would want me and why the work was so doable. So definitely let go of those concerns. You're more than capable, especially if you're going through the reading list and going through the program. Let's talk for a moment about the follow-up interview process. This question, can you talk about the follow-up interviews a little bit more, mostly online, in person, or in person? Um, were the in-person over multiple days? So I know Johnny had in-person. Anybody else have in-person follow-up interviews? Sure. Um, oh, yeah, go ahead, Connor. Yeah, you go. Me, me and Sika had the first uh, follow-up interview together uh, in oh, New did. York. Wait, you yeah, guys went to wherever together? We did. Yeah, we, okay. we both went to the same company. Um, oh. I thought, I mean, I can, the process is pretty straightforward. I think for most people, you fly in, they have like dinner or some type of a reception that night. It's relatively informal. The next day has follow-up interviews that are slightly more formal. Um, you kind of meet some people on the staff and then that afternoon you go back out. So it's about a 24-hour process. All right, let's do one more. Um, what percentage of interviews... You know, I, I'm, I'm actually going to answer that one just because it's a little bit more focused toward the process. So anybody else want to talk about follow up interviews? What you know, let's talk about online like um, versus virtual. You know, the follow up before before we move to virtual, we would say that the follow up interview process took 18 working days. You could see that we talked about earlier in the statistics, the average number of days to acceptance was 12.8, I think I said. So obviously reduced it by about a week or so. So it's a lot faster. Did anybody meet with more than one company, two different companies in the same day for a follow-up? Anybody have that experience? Andrew, what was that like? So it was a little unexpected because one, I, I knew I was going to have that interview four or five days in advance. And the other one, I knew less than 24 hours in advance that it was going to end up being on the same day as the other companies. So it was a little bit of a scramble to to refocus and, and divide my time a little bit differently as far as studying went. So now I put it between the two, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad beyond that. It was just a little bit of the initial surprise, but yeah. it's hundred percent doable. Yeah. Yeah. That would never happen in person. So that, I mean, that, that's just, it's just another function of the virtual. The last conference is what percentage of interviews are being conducted in person versus virtually is there a trend moving in some direction? Well, at the conference, they're 100% virtual. And I think I get this, I still get this question a lot, you know, are you ever going to go back to in person? And the answer is maybe, but I can tell you right now, we are able to help more officers and more companies in this way. And so as much as Johnny said, I like to do them in person because read the room, body language. And I completely agree with that. I feel like we're more effective in helping both of the groups of people that we're trying to help by doing it this way. Okay, you all, I think I've gotten to all the questions. So uh, to the panel, thank you so much. Thank you for dedicating the time, energy, and effort. Congratulations. Thank you so much for putting your trust and partnership with us. It's been great. Obviously, this is not the end. We'll keep rolling. Uh, we'll, we'll call you plenty in the first year to make sure it's all going fine. And you can call me too. For those of you that are listening in on the call, we obviously we have some things scheduled over the course of the next uh, six weeks for those coming to the November conference. Obviously, also obviously, if you need anything between now and then, call me directly. I'll help in any way I can. And on that note, thank you everyone. Have a great night and we'll see you all very soon.